Well, good morning. I want to get our time started. So I was pondering what I would teach on on Easter, and I don't know if it's a function of age or otherwise, but I've been thinking a lot and reflecting a lot about my salvation. And I was thinking this week, it was spring break for our girls, and so I took a week off from work, and our oldest girls went with my sister and two other cousins to New York. They're still there. You can pray for them to get home safely tonight, but they've had a great time with my oldest sister in New York. And Debbie and I took Christine to Disney for a few days, and so it was a special time for her not having to share the spotlight with her older sisters. And it caused me to think a lot with gratitude about what God has done, and it caused me also to think about God's character. And so I started reflecting, what could I talk about today on Easter? And I thought I would talk about God's faithfulness. It's something I talked about many years ago, but it occurred to me that's one of the things that we're celebrating on Easter, God's faithfulness to his word. And so I want to just share some thoughts with you. I want to encourage you. This is already a happy day. We were explaining and talking to Christine about Good Friday and why it's called Good Friday when something so horrific happened, and yet it also was something so wonderful happened. And all of this comes together at a time that we have hearts that are naturally thinking about the Lord. We all get busy. We all have Sundays where our minds are elsewhere, including pastors. And that shouldn't be the case, but that doesn't seem to be as much of a problem on Easter. And so I want to talk a little bit about God's faithfulness today just to encourage you. It's going to be a variety of scriptures that we address. And for many of us, it's things that we already know. But the Bible consistently encourages us to meditate on the Word of God, to dwell on the Word of God. And so if the things I'm sharing with you are things that already you think about, well, then I just tell you, excel still more, continue to do it. But let's be encouraged today by God's faithfulness. And as I think through God's faithfulness, I want to talk about two particular aspects, and then I want to talk about an application of God's faithfulness. But first... I'm just thinking about God's faithfulness in his character. God is faithful in his character. Now, in terms of God's faithfulness, for years I've used a definition that I got from a theology book. And that definition helps encapsulate what the scriptures are talking about when we say God is faithful. And that definition, again, I didn't create it, it's quoted from a book, is God's faithfulness means that God will always do what he has said and fulfill what he has promised. God will always do what he has said and fulfill what he has promised. And as we meditate on that, there's few things that could be more comforting. And God isn't, of course, faithful just because a theological book wrote it down. God isn't faithful because Pastor Steve or myself or other people say he's faithful God is faithful because he calls himself faithful. God's word says he's faithful. And this morning I'm going to hit a lot of scriptures. You might just want to jot them down. It probably flipping back and forth might take a little bit of time. So I'm going to go relatively quickly, but I'm just going to ask you to jot these down. But Deuteronomy chapter 7, for example. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. 
says this, Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments, but repays those who hate him to their faces to destroy them. He will not delay with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Now Moses was really telling the Israelites, this is what God expects of you. He was laying out their future in front of a holy God. And the entirety of the book of Deuteronomy deals with God's promise that if you obey, you'll have my blessings. If you disobey, you'll have my curses. And Moses was assuring them, even as the words jump off the page thousands of years later and assure us, when God speaks, it's true. When God says, I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. In the case of the original hearers of this, it meant that the blessings were really available. God wasn't playing a game with them. If they would obey, he would bless them as a nation. But as their history shows... That's why I say this was like a summary of all their history. Their history was, if you obey, you would be blessed. If you disobey, you'd be cursed. The whole Old Testament is the cursings. Because Israel consistently, time and time and time again, fell short. And so they were judged, and they were judged, and they were conquered by peoples. And they would cry out to God, and God would rescue them, and then they would fall back into sin. But the point for us in all of this is that the God who was faithful then is still faithful now. He hasn't changed. Moses at the end of Deuteronomy reiterated reiterated this. I just hit a button that went into a whole different screen and so I kind of looked down and my notes were gone and it's like, huh, that's not good. (laughs) Deuteronomy 32 verses 1 to 4. Deuteronomy 32, verses 1 to 4. Again, Moses was getting to the end of his life. He was basically laying down everything for the people as he was getting ready to turn over the leadership to Joshua. He says, Give ear, O heavens, and let me speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as the droplets on the fresh grass, and as the showers on the herb. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. One of the things that's fascinating when you think about God is the fact that all of his attributes are unchanging. And they've all existed for all eternity. In fact, these are the types of things that if you think about them enough, it can make your brain snap. Because God is faithful, it's in his essence, and God didn't learn to be faithful. God didn't one day become faithful. If you think about our development over the course of our lives, at some points in our lives we're more of something, at some points of our lives we're less of something. Even when you're dealing with humans, you know, we have some people that we'd say, well, they're pretty honest, but we don't think they're always honest. We think they're honest most of the time, but we know they've lied at some point in their life. We know people that generally keep their word, but maybe they're not perfect. And again, over a lifetime, these character traits can change. If you watch your kids grow up, you know, the traits of a, of a four-year-old, if God blesses you, turn into different traits by eight, and then by 12, and then by 16. 
But God never changed. God never was different. God never is different. He will never be different. And when we think of God's faithfulness, that he will always do what he has said he will do, if he's promised something, he's going to keep it, it's great comfort that that never changed. There's a particular contrast set out in Numbers 23. Reiterates this truth, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Obviously, the point was no. God will always do what he has said. In the Psalms, it's been great encouragement hearing Pastor Steve teach through them at such detail. But God's faithfulness is put in human terms, in terms of an expansive visual scene. Psalm 36, verses 5 and 6 says this, Your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. When it's talking about God's faithfulness, the idea is, look up at the sky. How high is that? Well, we really don't know, because it keeps going. That's God's faithfulness. It fills everything around us. It's almost endless. It is endless. And think of it another way. The other day we were, as I mentioned, we were at Disney, and one of the sky riders, the plane, started doing something on Friday. And what they eventually, by the time the first word was done, the clouds had blown it away. But it was basically saying, thank you, Jesus. So it was was actually nice. And I think it was going to say something else, but, you know, the pilot kept going and we had to go up places. But anyway, it was nice and we could talk about that and we were guessing what the next letters were going to be and Christine was keeping us updated for every letter. But the, the, the image here, though, is when you look up, you could actually see something. And we could see words that were in one part of the sky, but if you looked at God's faithfulness, it goes way beyond that. In fact, it's a panoramic. As far as the eye can see in any direction, that would be the picture that's being painted. God is completely surrounded by his faithfulness. There is nothing more expansive. And again, this isn't just an Old Testament concept. I I highlighted those verses because many of them were very picturesque and expressive. But in the New Testament, for example, in 1 Corinthians 1, 9, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9, it says, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so as we think about God today as we think about who he is and what he's done we recognize that our God the maker of heaven and earth is a faithful God he was faithful in the time of Moses he was faithful during the time of Jesus and the apostle Paul and all the other apostles and he's just as faithful today and he'll be faithful tomorrow and he'll never stop being faithful So the first aspect is that God is faithful in his character. The second point that I want to emphasize, and it's a logical extension. In fact, it ties right into the definition that I gave of faithfulness. It's this. God is faithful in his word. God is faithful in his word. The Bible you hold in your hands in all likelihood. Most of us have multiple copies consist of what we refer to as 66 books. 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. 
written over a period of time of thousands of years by many different human authors inspired by the Spirit of God to write. If you think about it, God's Word is under attack. If it's held up to stem the tide of cultural wickedness, people say it's outdated, it's not true. But here is what we know because the Spirit of God indwells us. Every single word in this book is true. Period. These aren't just the words of men. These are the words of God. And Scripture tells us over and over and over again that God's Word is true. Psalm 119, verse 160 is just an example. There are countless examples. But it says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. In fact, Psalm 19, if you ever want to think about God's word, just read Psalm 119. Because it is a massive and lengthy testimony, verse after verse after verse, of the benefits of God's word, of the usefulness of God's word. And of course, if it was false, it wouldn't have any utility. It wouldn't be worth anything. Which is why the psalmist reiterates that it's true. John seventeen seventeen is a very familiar verse. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Obviously, this means whatever Scripture says about anything is true. The Apostle Paul made this point. Other biblical writers made this point. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 probably is one of the first verses many people memorize. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And Peter makes it clear again that this isn't just a personal ramblings of any individual person. In Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, he says, But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Paul and Peter are reiterating the same truth. God's Spirit breathed out Scripture. God chose to use human authors, but it was God's Spirit who breathed this book. And because God is faithful, we know that He never goes back on His Word. thought many times about those things. You don't speculate on what's false. But the fact that God's word never changes. We have God's word in a very orderly fashion right now. There's even like some gold outline on the cover that they put paint on it or something. Most of us have Bibles that are in great shape. If you have a tablet device, you have multiple Bibles that are easy to access 
200 years ago, somebody to have a Bible was a big deal. 500 years ago, it was probably unheard of. 1,000 years ago, it was a very dark time. You go back even farther, and we realize that we have privileges today that few people in the history of God's redemptive plan have had when it comes to his word. God's word is in front of us in abundance. And we should be thankful on Easter for God's faithfulness to his word. That we don't have to wonder whether these things are true. We don't have to wonder did God change his plan. No, what God says is true. God cannot lie. Even in the incarnation, the truth of God was emphasized. John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. We live in a world that is not faithful. So as I'm trying to emphasize God's faithfulness, in some respects it's kind of difficult to contend with because we don't have any other referent in society. Why is it that there aren't faithful things in society? I always think it's interesting how Jesus refers to Satan. He is a liar and the father of lies. In John chapter 8, there's a discourse, 43 to 46, where he speaks that truth. But I think it's important for Christians to remember that because the truth of Scripture is under assault every day. It always turns my stomach when I hear people identifying themselves as pastors get on TV and explain why the Bible's not true. Why the Bible doesn't mean what it says. Which, of course, opens the door to any type of immorality. People using the Bible to justify what really was reflected in the Bible back in the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. As believers, don't ever buy the lies that Scripture is somehow deficient. Because God is faithful, it means that everything God has reiterated is true. Everything God has stated is true. Everything God has spoken is true. And we need to cling to that, even as you look at the news going on now. It's a discouraging time in some respects. Tonight we're going to have an all-church prayer meeting, and I'm only going to focus on thankfulness of all the things that we can thank God for. And one of the things we're going to thank God for tonight is for our country. With all its faults, God gives us great freedom to worship and do those things. But the reality is... We live in a time where we are increasingly becoming an isolated minority. Not if you call yourself a Christian, there's plenty of them. But if you say, no, I really believe this. If the Bible says that marriage is between one man and one woman, I believe it. What does that get you? That gets you called hateful. You're called a bigot. You're called narrow-minded. The president of Apple, and this ironic because I use Apple devices... 
Tim Cook went out of his way to write a poorly written commentary piece for the New York Times, I think it was this week, and he was talking about why the law passed in Indiana was bad, and he was saying it was just, Apple was just a diversity, company of diversity, they wanted a diversity of opinions, and I thought, what would happen if Christians said, okay, this is great, so I can come and witness my faith here, because you welcome a diversity of opinions. You don't want me to have to hide who I am? Great. I'm going to come and share the gospel. You'd be out the door quicker than you could say anything. So today, as we have the opportunity to reflect on God and what he's done, I want to encourage you to cling to God's faithfulness. It is an anchor when the world around us is dealing with error. It is an anchor to drive us back to the word of God. It's a great travesty if any of you who regularly attend here and sit under the teaching ministry of Steve Kreloff are ignorant of what's in the word. That's not his fault because God has gifted me with one of the best Bible teachers you'll ever find. We have privileges here to be exposed to the word of God and we need that. I always think it's fascinating when you watch how Satan tempted Jesus. He tempted the word with the word. That blows my mind. tells you something about the arrogance of Satan. But it also tells you the value of knowing the word of God, not just by verse, but in context. Because Satan is a master deceiver. He takes the word of God and makes it say what he wants. That's why these so-called pastors are, are distorting the word. It's the father of lies inspiring it. So we need to know the word. Let me encourage you today to reflect with greater thankfulness On the word, because God is faithful in his word. Kind of running a a little bit short on time, and so I'm going to just highlight one other thing, because this really ties in with Easter. And the reason my mind ever went to God's faithfulness tied into this truth. And so this is just an implication. And it's an implication that is near and dear to our hearts. But it's also an implication that matters if we're still praying for salvation for unsaved family and friends. It's this. What God has promised about salvation through Jesus Christ is true. Now that might seem so obvious that you don't even pay attention to it, but reflect on that for a few moments. What the Bible says about the gospel is hard truth. Every individual save Jesus Christ who has walked on the earth has sinned. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. That was true from the time Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and it's been true in every one of their posterity since. And God is holy. He's not just faithful, he's holy. And a holy, perfect God will not allow sin in his presence. And every human being ever born has sinned against a holy God. It's easy for us to fall into a trap of saying, well, I'm not as bad as, and then fill in the blank. But that's deception. James makes it clear, whoever keeps the whole law and stumbles in one point is guilty of everything. And this is what makes Easter so beautiful, because it's a picture of the fact that God was faithful. From the time of the first sin, God promised to make a way. And throughout the Old Testament, God promised one day the Messiah would come. 
And one day Jesus did come. John 3, 14 to 16 says this, As Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We can only say praise the Lord for that. That there is hope even for those that we love that don't know Christ. That we can point them to Jesus Christ. That there is hope that they could be saved. We're not God. We don't control the outcome. But as long as someone that we know has life and breath, there is hope. The thief on the cross was in the process of dying when he came to faith. Don't give up. Be encouraged. At the end of the day, you are an ambassador of truth. You are an ambassador of hope. And God's faithfulness is eminently tied to the resurrection. Because without the resurrection, none of anything would matter. The hope of mankind for salvation would not exist. Let me read from an extended portion of 1 Corinthians 15. Because this really shows why Easter matters so much. Paul said, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? In other words, he was confronting the fact of people talking out of both sides of their mouth. Some people were saying there is no resurrection of the dead, and his point is, well, how could that be? Verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. That's why Easter matters. If you think about the sobering implications of that, if Easter had not occurred... We would be fools. The world thinks we're fools. What Paul is saying is if the resurrection hadn't occurred, we would be. Because we'd be running around spreading a lie and believing a lie. And there would be no hope for mankind apart from the resurrection of the dead, apart from Easter. But Paul goes on to say, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep... For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, after those who are in Christ, who are Christ that is coming. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God and Father. When he has abolished all rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. Here's the point of all that. Because of Resurrection Sunday, there is hope. And God's word is true. If we confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
That's the privilege we have to carry that message to those in our lives who still don't believe. To those in our family who we've shared that with dozens of times, we share it again. And I pray that you would be encouraged this morning, this Resurrection Sunday, that God is faithful. God will fulfill his word. God will keep his promises. And understand this, if you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have believed the gospel, you haven't believed a lie. You believe the truth. And you will be saved. You are saved. One day you will be with Christ forever, for all eternity, praising him for what he did that first Easter. Let me close our time with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you for the resurrection of the dead. I thank you, Lord, that Jesus Christ rose again on the third day. Lord, the tomb is empty. We thank you, Lord, for the first Easter, and we thank you that we can celebrate this Easter because you've given us new hearts. Lord, encourage us today. There are many who are weak and battered in our midst. I pray your faithfulness will be wind underneath their sails, so to speak, to carry them forward, to help them move forward. Pray, Lord, that you would give us hope to continue to witness your gospel to those who have rejected you. Lord, I pray that this day, as we reflect on what you did for sinners like us, we can truly have hearts of thanksgiving. We ask all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.